You're listening to the Ask Drone You podcast. You ask, we answer your drone questions. Whether you're here to turn your passion into profit or you simply fly for fun, we're a community of learners and teachers who aspire to achieve greatness. We are Drone You. Hey everyone, and welcome to another news edition of the Ask Drone You podcast. Joining me, as always, flying under the radar, above it or through it, we're not sure. He is the Flying Dutchman, all the way from Drone XL. Hiya, how are you doing? Hey, Paul. Happy New Year, man. Happy New Year to you as well. It looks like we were given some gifts uh, to prepare us for this new year in the likes of Remote ID, or maybe it wasn't a gift, but hi, I gotta say one gift the FAA did give us is not launching Remote ID on the 26th of December. Thank you. Yeah, I think we got uh, two additional days, which uh, which almost made me nervous. I thought they weren't gonna make the deadline before the end of this year there for a second. <laughs> well, they definitely had all of us going, that is for sure. And you know what, let's just hop into this week's first story. Which we wrote, what drones are compliant with Remote ID, which just kind of brings us into Remote ID. And we wrote this story on the premise that, well, with Remote ID not kicking in for 30 months from the date of publishing, that the drones that you have now, at least the drone you community, your drones, your fleet, your commercial fleet, well, if you're amortizing your drones, chances are you might buy one or even two drones before remote ID is implemented. And with that said, look at all of the drones that DJI currently makes that has or is seen by the Aeroscope system. This system was used as the example for broadcast ID, yet the FAA said they didn't want to use it because it posed an undue burden on the pilots and others to comply. It was expensive. So while these drones do have the hardware, we wrote this article with the assumption that with a firmware upgrade, that they could comply. With that said, it's also the argument that, well, in the time that Remote ID is implemented, chances are these drones won't even be in your fleet. Now, Haya, before we get into this too much, before the show, we were really getting into Remote ID and what we've kind of seen uh, in the groups and the responses from pilots. And when we got right into this equipment issue and what drones do comply and what drones don't, you were like, "It does it really matter? And I think that the answer is no, but there's a lot more to this story. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think it very much depends on the kind of drone pilot that you are, or the kind of drone that you fly. I mean, I can imagine if you fly RC model airplanes or you fly FPV drones, that's a whole different ballgame. And I hope that whatever remote ID hardware will be available, that it's going to be super light and small and easy to attach on any aircraft for that matter. When you look at the more consumer uh, type drone pilots, let's say the people that are more likely to buy DJI drones, I think that's a different ballgame in itself. Brandon Schumann from DJI already indicators on social media that they're working on on making this an easy transition basically and i can imagine why i mean if i was going to be dji i don't want people let's say breaking the rules or getting in trouble with our products so for them to facilitate it to make it easy for drone pilots to uh, comply with remote ID for drones makes a lot of sense. And I think also the 
the drone manufacturers don't have the same 30 months. I mean, their products need to be uh, compliant. Uh, I think it's 18 months before or after 18 months. So they have a slightly shorter time frame than we have. Uh, so I would imagine that, let's say, a year, two years from now, all their drones will most likely be compliant with remote ID going forward, even though you don't have to have it yet as a drone pilot. And I would imagine that a lot of their existing uh, newer models will be able to be upgraded to be compliant as well. Um, so I think that's a good thing. Of course, the question is how many people are actually willing to comply? And I know you guys ran some uh, some surveys on that in the past. Um, I think that's still a big question mark is how many people are actually going to comply with these new rules? And also, who's going to enforce these rules? And I think there are still a lot of uh, um, that remains to be seen when it comes to this, basically. I think you could not be more right. And we did run a survey. In fact, uh, the amount of people who responded to that survey was incredible. And I wanted to make sure that we asked the question about compliance in two ways. One, by asking the user to respond in if they would comply, but then also their perception of other pilots' ability to comply. And when we ran the question, an overwhelming majority, I want to say it was over 75%, said that they expect more than 75% of pilots not to comply. But yeah. the key point here is that was based on the proposed rules, which had network ID in it. Yeah. You know, I asked in a few different areas this weekend in different forums, you know, just asking about opinions regarding remote ID and what compliance is going to be. And uh, one person, very funny, uh, he wrote, you should probably ask in two years, which is a good point because it really illustrates, is it even going to be top of mind at that time frame? Yeah. You know, and it's really, we're unsure. But I would also say that there's a large group of people outside of kind of, you know, the commercial interests that are really not happy with remote ID, which brings us into our next couple stories. So we can just roll into this, Haya, because we got a couple of stories here regarding the module. You know, one particular story that you wrote this week says that Apple may even be in the works for modems for drones in a patent filing. And I'm wondering, are we expecting Apple to get into the modules that we have or, or that have been proposed for remote ID on the broadcast side? And then I know that a popular um, proponent in the industry, he's been on my show numerous times, and you may remember him from one particular show because he wore a horse head I'm not really sure I understand the symbolism there, but uh, anyway, he did do that. We're talking about Kenji Sugihara, very, very knowledgeable regarding law, and it shows because he was awarded a patent as well for a yeah. module, which had a lot of people you know, asking some questions, but after digging through this, you got to admit, Kenji is uh, pretty brilliant for, for what he did and when he did it. But Haya, there's so much more to both of these stories. I'm just trying to get the ball to continue to roll. What's going on here? Let's, uh, let's back up then and start with the Apple one. I mean, of course, I think a lot of people would be super excited if Apple actually entered the drone market and came out with the drone. I don't think that that's what this is about at all. Um, I, I doubt Apple would, uh, would do that. It'd be super cool if they did, but I'm not counting on that. This is more of a modem device that uh, we think has to do with 
Apple using drones to map the world around us. I mean, of course, we have Google Maps. Apple has a competing mapping uh, product, if you will, or Maps product. For them to be able to get that information and have accurate information out there, they've been using drones for that. We know that. It seems that this is a system that's going to help them to allow multiple drones to fly and collect all that information and have more accurate information to make these maps on your, your iPad, your iPhone, uh, be more accurate and be smarter. I'm not expecting to see Apple launch a consumer drone anytime soon. I don't think that's uh, that's on their radar at all, to be honest. Going to uh, Kenji's story, that's of course, uh, it's exciting. I mean, he was able to get a patent filed and uh, awarded to him as not quite the first, but uh, his patent dates back the furthest. He was involved in, in different committees, the DAC committee, but also other committees uh, that were working on remote ID for drones with the FEA. So you could argue that he had um, inside information almost, or at least information possibly before other people would have access to that. I saw on social media, some people were like, hey, is this smelly? I mean, is he just taking advantage of the position he's been in? I'm not quite sure if that's the case. I mean, I know that he was working on a method to make remote ID for drones uh, possible. Uh, that's what's now being patented. And I guess theoretically you could sell that to, uh, to drone manufacturers. Although I also know that patents uh, can a lot of times easily be avoided, basically. Like if you copy somebody else's invention, but it's slightly different, then that patent might not even protect him. And it's always very hard to, pr- uh, to protect patents and to make sure that, uh, that you yeah, get the money that you think you're entitled to. So we'll have to see how that plays out. I would imagine that big drone manufacturers like DJI, for instance, will come up with their own solution and will not use uh, somebody else's patent for this. So it's very cool, I think, that he was able to get this done. Uh, it's impressive for sure. Uh, I know he's done a lot for the drone industry and the drone community as a whole. So to, to make him see something come back to him in return, I think it's not necessarily unfair. And I think we benefit all from people like Kenji and others that, that are promoting the drone industry and promoting our hobby and are helping to come up with solutions that are actually cost-effective and feasible and don't make the drone hobby and business uh, impossible. So, Kenji has been a huge proponent, especially for drone service providers. Um, I know that some some people were, you know, saying, well, hey, hold on a minute. Is this a conflict of interest? But what about all the other people sitting on the DAC? What about Verizon? What about CNN? You know, I mean, at some point you you could argue that almost all of them are a conflict of interest, (laughs) frankly. Uh, But a lot of people would argue it's not a conflict of interest. I mean, you can decide, practically speaking, what the unintended consequences are. Let's use, oh, yeah, the 737 Max is the example. So should the system change of private public? I think it's a good question to ask. I'm not sure what the answer is. Kenji's brilliant. And frankly, I think this is great. And I don't think he was, uh, I don't think it was really a conflict of interest. I mean, imagine the opposite, right? If you if you want to prevent situations like these, then you would have had the FAA work on this solution all by themselves without any expertise from the drone industry. And I think you would never have come to such a uh, workable solution as they were able to do now. So I think, yes, there might be a risk of uh, a conflict of interest, but I'm also not sure if without all these other partners, you'd even be able to come up with a workable technology that in, includes both hardware and software. I mean, you need experts on the table. And I think... Uh, uh, there are ways to safeguard and to make sure that there's no insider trading or, or people benefiting from knowledge that's not publicly available. Um, I think the FEA would have had a hard time to come up with a remote ID solution that would be 
anywhere feasible without any external help at all. Couldn't agree more. And I think it's extremely important to note that Kenji as a proponent was a proponent of what's practical. Now, I know that upsets a lot of FPV people, a lot of uh, recreational hobbyists, because they're like, well, he still promoted remote ID. Well, he was trying to bring the people off of the ledge and say, hold on, hold on, hold on. This is not going to work. I mean, he worked together with us to get the message out regarding the terrible nature of network RID. And I think the net benefit of it all is extremely positive, because if he wasn't there, they're really there's really not a lot of presence as far as practical drone operators. And mm-hmm. the fact that he pushed things as far as he did, I think it was, again, a net positive for the industry. And I think he should benefit. But the one thing I wanted to you know, a lot of people have been like, is it fair? It's unfair. That is the most manipulative word in the entire English <laughs> language. That is, the, that is the true F-bomb that should never be dropped. If you're in a negotiation and someone says, is that fair? It's just like, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's a fair example, but uh, I'll take it. <laughs> no, you're right. And I mean, um, remote ID was going to happen regardless. So I think if, if you know that that's a given, then it's probably in everybody's best interest to work to the best possible solution. And I think he definitely contributed to getting there. So for that, I'm, uh, I'm thankful for sure. It would have been a lot scarier if the FEA was going to try to come up with something without any feedback from the industry. So I think this is still, it might not be perfect. I totally understand there's still a lot of concerns and I agree with, with quite a few of them, to be honest. Uh, but I think it's still better than what the original proposed remote ID rules were going to be. And uh, we still got three years, Maybe we can still fine tune some things here and there, work on the privacy concerns that some people have, make sure it's retrofitable, make sure it's cheap, easy, lightweight, small, whatever. Make sure that it's workable and then hopefully uh, most people will comply with this. You know, a lot of people have said, hi, I'm wondering if you've heard this as well, but a lot of people have said that remote ID is really for the big guys to be able to do drone delivery and things like that. Do you agree with that? Um. I'm not sure if it's just for them. I mean, yeah, in order to to make large scale uh, drone operations, commercial drone operations feasible, you need remote ID. I totally understand that part. I think in terms of homeland security, I think a lot of the concerns were more related to people trying to rig, let's say, a Phantom 4 with a hand grenade and then doing some dumbass stuff with that. So I think remote ID is for both situations. One, it's an enabler for commercial operations. Two, I think it also has to do with security and just being able to to know what drones are out there and where they're headed and who's flying those drones. I agree. Agree that we've got to keep up the fight for privacy because there are some backdoors and some vagueness in this whole thing that we're going to be kind of talking about here in the coming weeks as we dive down. There's probably a hundred stories within this 400-page document, but let's get back to positives here, Haya, which brings us to our next story. As we had talked about previously in the news show about DJI kind of changing the game about how we can learn to go from a line of sight flight to FPV flight. So if you're an FPV pilot, you know the immersive experiences is completely different from flying line of sight, a.k.a. looking at the drone. And uh, that kind of brings up another point regarding compliance, uh, Haya, as a lot of people have argued that a lot of FPV pilots already fly out of compliance 
And some people say it's like breaking the speed limit. So I'm not the judge. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna touch that with a ten foot pole, frankly. But the positive here is it looks like at CES we might see the DJI FPV drone. And it looks like you've got two fresh new photos of what to expect. Yeah. Um our initial rumors indicated that we might I've seen the uh, DJI FPV drone to be launched before Christmas. Now, of course, we're in the new year already, so obviously that didn't happen. Now the latest photos show the remote controller in, in much greater detail as well as the drone itself. And if we start with the remote controller, you see, of course, you have the control sticks. There's a, a C1, a custom button, on-off switch, LED lights on the top, as you can see in, uh, in the photo in the article. And also at the top, you see this black plastic piece. And if you look at, uh, let's say, the remote controller, this one that comes with your uh, Mini 2 and Mavic Air 2, you have a similar plastic piece. In this case, it's to mount a smartphone. Now, we don't think that that's the case for the FPV drone because in another photo, you can see it's, 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 it seems to be a foldable antenna that you kind of fold upwards and is an antenna. So we don't think you need the phone there. Of course, this comes with goggles as well. So whatever information you need to see, it will be displayed inside your goggles most likely anyway. Uh, so the remote controller is different. It's um, it's also a very different shape. It's more shaped like a PlayStation controller. Um, I actually think it might that might actually be a great benefit. I think it might actually hold, uh, feel better in your hands and be more ergonomic. If we switch to the second article, we see a close-up picture of the drone. And it's uh, taken with a wide-angle camera, so the drone looks ridiculously large almost comparatively to the person in the background. Uh, I don't think that's the case. I think that's just... Uh, optical uh, perception basically that uh, because of the lens that was used and you can see for sure the beefy arms beefy motors uh, it seems to be a very sturdy drone it's not the prettiest by any means it's not quite a pretty drone at all it's a bit of a frankenstein drone but if it flies really well who cares right at the front you can see what's interesting is that there's two black circular things on the left and the right of the center of the drone which we suspect is a obstacle avoidance uh, sensor system making this drone easier to fly for people that have never flown an FPV drone before. Uh, the other thing that's important to point out is that you will not uh, have to use a GoPro or a DJI action camera to come with this drone. What we've heard is that this drone is going to record 4K at 60 frames per second, and you only need one camera, both for being able to fly the drone as well as recording your footage, which is a huge benefit. Um, the camera is mounted on a one-axis gimbal, which I suspect might actually mean that the camera will automatically adjust based on the pitch and based on the speed at which you're flying your drone. Uh, that will be a very nice feature for sure. Um, and I think this is this is probably also how DJI is going to position this drone. I don't think they're going to go after the hardcore FPV racers. I think this is more to get people into FPV drones and also for people who uh, really appreciate the more cinematic moves that you can make with FPV drones. So I think they're going to position it differently and not compete with the hardcore FPV crowds. Now, going back to CES, uh, this drone was not launched before Christmas. So then the question, of course, becomes when will they launch it? Uh, we know that the last two drones DJI launched were purely online events uh, because of the uh, coronavirus pandemic. CES 2021 uh, is going to be an online event as well. It would not surprise me at all if DJI decides to launch this drone right in the middle of that uh, or at the beginning of that event. Uh, CES runs from January 11th through 14th. So 
who knows with a little luck in a week from now roughly um we might have a new uh, dji drone on our hands which would be freaking amazing it really would be amazing it really would frankly i'm excited too Haya, because i think again that this really kind of changes the way that we think about flying which is exciting that said, that brings yeah. us to our final story for uh, this news episode, which is regarding the Mini 2. It seems like there is a new firmware update that adds quite a bit here, Haya. And I'm curious what it adds because, holy cow, that drone is a mini powerhouse. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think the original uh, Mavic Mini was impressive already, uh, being able to come up with a drone that actually flies that well, uh, weighing less than 250 grams. Now, of course, the Mini 2 uh, takes it a step up, uh, quite a step up. Now we have OcuSync 2.0, we have 4K video capabilities, and now all of a sudden this little drone becomes... Uh, yeah, a more significant drone. Colors were way better in uh, both uh, still photography and video because of an increased bitrate. And of course, the benefit of the Mini 2 is that it's so lightweight that if you travel internationally to, let's say, Canada, or uh, as of now, actually, a lot of the European countries, you can fly this drone with uh, much, much fewer restrictions, sometimes even no restrictions at all, which makes it the ideal travel drone. Now, DJI with a firmware upgrade added the option for 2.7K video, which is of course less than 4K video. You can argue how much it even matters when most people consume their media on uh, on smartphones anyway. But now you get different frame rates. You get 24, 25, 30, 48, 50, and 60 frames per second added in this mode. I've flown the Mini 2 quite a bit. I think it's, it's in a way, it's the ideal drone. I mean, yes, it's not the most capable, but it's the easiest one to take with you. Has great fly time with those three batteries you can fly for an hour and a half pretty much uh, you can throw it in your backpack not even worry about it it's not expensive um, if there ever was an ideal drone to take with you anytime anywhere uh, this is it i think wow 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 frankly exciting man yeah. just another huge push on such a small drone you really wonder how they did it but it seems like the push for small we might just be getting more and more smaller drones. I recently saw an argument I wanted to run by you, which someone, and I actually can't even remember who this was, someone said, are drones that are sub 249 grams less safe because they have less sensors, like obstacle avoidance sensors, VPS, uh, etc. What do you think about that? I guess if you look at it that way, yes, because you don't have the obstacle avoidance sensors, so there's a there's an increased risk of flying into obstacles theoretically. However, with such a lightweight drone, if you do fly into something, uh, you're going to do a lot less damage. If it falls out of the sky, it's not going to be uh, four pounds coming down on somebody potentially. It's going to be a super lightweight drone. So in that sense, I would argue that uh, the small drones inherently are a lot safer. One thing to point out, going back to remote ID, I mean, these drones, you don't need to register them as long as you fly recreationally. As soon as that turns into a commercial uh, flight, now you need your part 107. Now you need to register the drone. And now now even these small drones will need to comply with remote ID uh, when that becomes uh, a requirement. So the way you fly and the way you use the drone makes a big difference. Um, if this drone is safer than the big drone, I would argue yes, just because of the reduced mass and weight of a uh, of such a small drone. Wow, wow. Uh, there's just so much power in this thing. It's unbelievable. Well, Hyatt, thank you again for joining me uh, this week in the news show. It's uh, good to see you back. I know we kind of took a holiday break 
and uh, just uh, excited to be doing this again with you. Same here, man. Appreciate it. And the first show of the new year, here's to many more. <laughs> Happy New Year. That's right. Yeah, 2021 is going to be an exciting one. And I hopefully it'll be the year that maybe we push for a micro drone rule here in the United States. I don't know, but I would love I would love to see that. I would love to see like what Canada has here. So, Haya, thanks again. That's going to do it for us today, everyone. Please don't be afraid to leave us a review. Leave us a like if you found us useful. Well, thank you. We appreciate it. Thanks again for all the support over the holidays. Really do appreciate the outpouring of support. It was incredible, Haya, a lot more than usual, and uh, really do appreciate it. So thank you, everyone. That's going to do it for us today. Thanks again for joining us. We believe that videos, images, words, and sounds have the absolute power to inform, inspire, and entertain. We reject indecision, confusion, and vanity for they work against the community. We are united under the virtues of safety and knowledge. We are a training community of learners and teachers who encourage and energize each other to achieve greatness. We are pilots, videographers, photographers, freelancers, business owners, enthusiasts, experts, and apprentices. We are creators. We are the Drone Youth.